I think that it's pretty arrogant, that spitefulness where, you know, okay, I have to be in the office so everybody else should be in the office. Why? This is something I, I have trouble understanding. It's like, what, is it hazing? You know, I had to go through this, so you have to go through this? No, I mean, that's, as we can see, this is not the way we want to have our society. This is uh, not a way we want to live. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Greetings, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Dr. Gleb Tapersky. Dr. Tapersky is the CEO of the Future Proofing Consultancy Disaster Avoidance Experts and the best-selling author of Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, a manual on benchmarking to best practices for competitive advantage. Dr. Tapersky, welcome to the show. Thank you again, Gabe. It was great to be on previously, and I'm glad to be back. I appreciate you inviting me back. I hope that means I did well the first time. (laughs) I am absolutely ecstatic to have you back. Now, we've been hearing a lot in recent months about going back to the office. I've heard stories of companies deciding to stay fully remote. I've heard stories of companies doing a hybrid method. And I've heard stories of other companies ordering everyone back into the office. And I see story after story offering their opinions on this subject. Now, I have largely ignored the discussion Because I just really feel like it's a business decision. It's a personal preference. But you believe that psychology can provide definitive answers for us when it comes to the use of hybrid and remote work versus in-office work. Is this really a question that psychology can answer? There's no question it's a question that psychology can answer. We have very clear research. Prior to the pandemic, we did have research on remote versus office-centric. We have research coming out right now about hybrid work from the perspective of psychology, how we work as human beings. We have now peer-reviewed research, but we also have very clear psychological principles that we can turn to that underlie hybrid work, remote work, and office-centric work. I imagine there's a lot of mental blind spots around hybrid and remote work. Can you discuss what some of those are? So here is our first approach to using psychology to address hybrid work, remote work, and office-centric work. And one of the fundamental, fundamental things to realize why there's a divide between leaders and staff. We have extensive surveys showing that executives on the whole prefer to do more office-centric work than employees. So you have more executives wanting more employees to spend more time in the office than employees want to spend time in the office. When you look at surveys of employees, you see that something like 80% want substantial remote work, whereas executives, on average, most executives over half would want their workers to spend maybe four days in office, even five days in office. They have older executives who have more of a push for employees to get back in office and younger executives having less of a push. They're much more flexible, much more willing to permit remote work. So why is that? Well, because older executives have spent a lot of time in the office and they learned how to lead in an office-centric environment. So their identity is tied to success in an office-centric environment. And this identity question is a fundamental question of psychology, of course. There's a cognitive bias here called the status quo bias. The status quo bias refers to our tendency to want to work 
the way that we are comfortable. So going to the status quo that we feel good about. And those leaders, they want to turn back the clock. The older leaders, the ones who are successful for over 20, 30, 40 years in their company, and they want to get back to that status. That's a fundamental dynamic that's going on, the status quo bias. Another really important dynamic is that these leaders tend to be oriented toward themselves, their own perspectives. So they feel focused on what they want to do. There was a really interesting op-ed that came out in Fortune magazine recently by one of these leaders. This leader talked about how they want to get all of their employees back in the office, even though they acknowledge that their employees are more productive at home. And the leader actually says the quiet part out loud. The leader says, and I'm quoting here, there's a deeply personal reason why I want to go back to the office. It's selfish, but I don't care. I feel like I lost a piece of my identity in the pandemic. I'm worried that I won't truly find myself again if I have to work from home for the rest of my life, unquote. So this is the egoism bias where people are much more oriented toward their own perspective and their own predispositions that cause them to make some bad choices about what their employees are going to be doing. I don't think that you would really need to convince any employee that their boss is selfish or that their boss wants things the way that they want things just because they want it that way. But but let's talk about productivity. Is it more productive or is it less productive to work from home, to work hybrid, to work in the office? What gets you your most productivity, which of course makes your company the most money? And so we have Elon Musk famously saying that all of his workers at Tesla and SpaceX need to be fully office-centric and that remote workers are only pretending to work. That's a statement. When you look at the research, so even before the pandemic, remote workers are clearly more productive. So they produce more effort, they produce more output, and they produce more money for the company. I'll cite one study that came out of Stanford University. And the Stanford University study looked at productivity in May 2020. So this is a couple of months after the pandemic found that remote workers compared to in-office workers were about 5% more productive. So they made the company 5% more money. Then it looked the same office workers later in two years in May 2022. So two years difference. And it found that the workers were actually 9% more productive in May 2022. So two-year gap. 4% improvement in productivity. Why is that? Well, because in May 2020, there was kind of a haphazard shift to remote work for most companies, and they didn't really figure out how to do remote work well. By May 2022, there were more skills in how to do remote work. And so the remote workers were 9% more productive than their comparative in-office workers who were doing the same work. And why is that? You wonder, well, the thing is, the biggest reason that people hate coming to the office is the commute. The commute is the biggest reason people hate coming to the office. The actual driving of the commute, on average, takes an American 52 minutes. And that does not count the costs of putting on, you know, all the clothes and for women putting on makeup, for parents getting childcare and coming into the office going through security, settling down, transitioning into their work environment, and then doing the same everything backward, right? So that takes quite a bit more than an hour per day 
from each person. So people justifiably feel that this is an unpaid labor. And so people are quite willing to work some of that time, do work part of that time. We see that on average, people work about a third to a half of the time that they would be spent commuting. They work for their employer. So that's one reason why people are more productive. They do more work. Then the work itself is better in terms of their focus. They can focus more at home. They're less distracted and they can create an environment that's well-suited for them. You know, people who like the thermostat turned up, they can have a warmer environment. If they like, you know, some kind of music when they work, they can have that. And they can be much more flexible in terms of setting their tasks throughout their workday. And people do more innovative and creative work when they have more autonomy and flexibility, which means flexibility of location. And people's work at home involves much, much more flexibility than when they're working in the office. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away. And then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hey everyone, my name is Rachel Star Withers and I live with schizophrenia. I'm also the host of Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast that dives deep into all things schizophrenia, featuring personal experiences and experts to help you better understand and navigate schizophrenia. Inside Schizophrenia is a Psych Central and Healthline Media podcast and we're available right now on your favorite podcast player. Check us out. And we're back discussing the psychology of hybrid and remote work with Dr. Gleb Tapersky. All right, Dr. Tapersky, you've you've convinced me. You've you've already convinced the employees, but I'm starting to think that leadership really needs to take a strong look at this because it benefits their bottom line. A happy employee is a productive employee. A productive employee is a profitable employee. But clearly, it's not a free for all. There there has to be some sort of methodology to this. There has to be an approach. What is the best approach for hybrid and remote work, and what's the psychology behind it? So one of these other cognitive biases is really important here, these mental blind spots. And that is called functional fixedness. And it's kind of like the hammer nail syndrome. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When you're used to functioning in an office-centric environment, what tends to happen is that you bring those same office-centric methods of working to the hybrid environment, to the remote environment. And that's why you saw when the immediate transition to the remote work happened in March 2020, all this transposing of office-centric methods 
onto hybrid and remote work. For example, Zoom happy hours. Happy hours are events where leaders get their team to be together and just socialize. And you know what? Happy hours in the workplace, I mean, some people who are more introverted who are not all that pleased about them, but overall, for most people, they kind of work. Zoom happy hours are a terrible idea. (laughs) When you look at the research on this, it definitely does not work. It actually causes disengagement. So it causes people to be less bonded to the team and less bonded to the organizational culture, which is the opposite of what the leader intended. So not only do you waste their employee time and therefore waste money by having them in the Zoom happy hour and company time, but you also hurt the engagement and productivity and team belonging and organizational culture integration. That's terrible. And there are so many other things like this where companies try to use the same methodology that they use in office-centric environments because that's what leaders know. That's what they're comfortable with. So they're trying to lead in that same way. And so what you need to learn is that you should not use the same methodology. You should not try to shoehorn office-centric methods into hybrid and remote work. You need to adopt specifically hybrid-first, remote-first modalities that are well suited to those modes of collaboration. You know, if you step outside of our current ways of working and try to imagine how would we work if we had started to work, if we created our methods of working for a hybrid team or a remote team, you would never develop the same methodologies that you use right now. And things like how do you make sure teams are innovative? How do you make sure they're accountable? How do you collaborate together? How do you socialize together? How do you mentor people? But all of those need to be addressed. Now, before you address all that, you need to decide how are you going to bring people to the office? Are you going to be fully remote? Are you going to be hybrid? You should really never be office-centric because you're going to really hurt yourself. And you can see very clear studies. One of the studies that came out, that's one from Stanford University, showed that hybrid staff are much better for retention. It was a a randomized assignment trial where half of the workers at one company were randomized to be hybrid and the other half were randomized to be fully office-centric. And it was a study over six months. What you saw was that hybrid workers' retention, so retaining these workers, was more than a third improved. So 35% improvement in retention. 35%, imagine that. <laughs> that is a huge, huge improvement in retention. Losing each employee is a very high burden for a company. It's usually about something like about a year's worth of salary for that employee to lose the talent and have to run a job search, train up a new person, get that person integrated. And then you don't know whether you made a good hire or not. So there are some percentages that you need to make a new hire. That's about a year's salary. So retention, if you retain people at a 35% rate better, you're saving a ton of money. So that is very important. So you retain people more. There was a study from Harvard Business School, which showed that either remote work or hybrid work that's about a day per week works better than something that's about two to three days or three to four days. You get better retention and better performance from employees and better evaluation for these employees. That's kind of when you want to be thinking about some of the external behavioral science research on this topic. So when you look at psychology, when you look at motivation, when you look at retention, productivity, that is what we see as the best approach, a team-led model. 
When many people hear a, a team-led model, they get this idea in their head that the employees are making the decisions and there's no longer leadership. I also think that, that leaders are worried that if they cannot observe their employees, their employees can do whatever they want. And I know that we're not necessarily trying to convince leaders here, but a lot of the pushback that I seem to get from people that don't have the option to work from home, truck drivers, school teachers, service providers, etc., is office workers are lazy and they just want to stay home. I know that's kind of a big question to all wrap up into one, but how do we manage this in a way that is productive, reasonable, and that everybody is happy? We can't make everybody happy, so we shouldn't try. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. I, I like that. Excellent answer, but I imagine it is more complex. <laughs> it is more complex, but this is a psychology podcast, uh, and we know that we can't make everybody happen. We shouldn't try. We'll just, you know, fail. So we should try to do the most, the best for the most, right? That's that's the goal. And so what does the best for the most involve? Well, first of all, it involves realizing that when people come to the office, they are not working full time. When you look at the research and how much of the time are they actually productive, people are only productive from 36 to 39% of the time. They're actually working. The rest of the time, they're doing things like surfing social media, buying stuff on Amazon, even looking for another job <laughs> if they're made to come back to the office, which is actually frequently the case that people are leaving. That's why you have the retention is 35% better for hybrid workers versus office-centric workers at the same company. Now, going back to oh, office workers are lazy. You know, I think that it's pretty arrogant and in a way despicable that people are trying to make someone come to the office out of spite. You know, okay, I have to be in the office so everybody else should be in the office. Why? You're going to make every other people miserable? Like, what is that? That is a hateful, hateful way to live your life, to try to make other people miserable and go for the commute. And it's even worse for you. If you have more people doing the commute, you're going to be more likely to be stuck in traffic and more likely to crash. It's going to pollute more. What are you talking about? Why make the experience of life more miserable for other people? What kind of a piece of human trash are you to have that so spiteful toward other people? We want to live in a way that tries to maximize utilitarianism, so the most benefit for all. And that means that what you want to do is address this question of proximity bias. Now, proximity bias, there are two elements of this kind of concept. And again, what's one of these mental blind spots? One element of proximity bias is a jealousy from people who have to be in the office for others who are not in the office. And so they're saying, well, I'm jealous. Like, why can't I do this? And so what I have my clients do and what works really well is shift from a culture of input to a culture of excellence from anywhere. What that means is you're not judged on where you work. You're judged on your deliverables. What are you actually producing? So if what you deliver, if the outcomes that you're producing require you to be in the office and access physical resources, like if you're a worker on the shop floor, or if you are in research and development staff, or you know, one of my clients is the Information Sciences Institute at the University of Southern California. And that is a, an information and processing institute, AI research, learning, cyber networks, cybersecurity, all of that sort of stuff. Now, some of their access to resources, they need to be in the office. It's some, some secure government kind of contracts that they have various clearances for. 
and I need to be in the office for that. And that's fine. So to do your work, you need to be in the office. But if you don't need to be in the office, why do you need other people to be in the office? That's just spite. You need to establish a culture of excellence from anywhere where people are judged on their deliverables. Let's talk about accountability. It's always a big subject asking people to manage themselves, especially when they're outside of their leader and their employers and their supervisors' eyes. How do we facilitate accountability in a hybrid and remote workspace? A great question, and it really ties in well to the previous one because this is another aspect of proximity bias. So proximity bias, one element is a sort of jealousy toward other people who are not in the office. Another aspect of proximity bias is this worry that, hey, if I'm not there near my manager, then my manager will ignore me and forget about me and I will not advance in my career. And the worry from the manager's side is that, well, if the person is not near me, if there's not that proximity, if I can't look over their shoulder, then will they actually be working? I mentioned excellence from anywhere. So excellence from anywhere, that involves a focus on deliverables. And to focus on deliverables, that means that you need to actually talk about what are people delivering and you need to measure their deliverables. A really excellent approach to this is to have weekly or every two weeks meetings with employees so in your one-on-one, and that's something that's kind of a standard activity where a manager has a one-on-one meeting with each employee once a week or once every two weeks. And what you do is you integrate into that one-on-one meeting a goal orientation and performance evaluation. Goal and performance. So each week, an employee sets three goals in agreement with their manager on what they will accomplish that week. Something that can be smart, so specific measurable, actionable, relevant, and timely for that upcoming week. The manager evaluates how well the employee performed on those goals, the performance evaluation, so making sure the employee is accountable. And then they agree on what the next set of goals is for the next upcoming week. And the manager either agrees on or revises the performance evaluation of the employee and may coach the employee on how to solve the problems that they run into better. And that is an excellent way of maintaining accountability because then you know what the employee is doing each week. The manager knows, the employee knows, and it solves the problem of proximity bias because the employee always knows where they stand, which is much, much better than that annual performance evaluation where that's the one time in the annual review that you know where you stand. So you know constantly each week where you stand and that performance rating that the employee gets each week is fed into a continuous promotion and review system. So the employees can get constantly evaluated on much, much smaller and smaller stakes, lower stakes evaluations and the huge ones of year super anxiety inducing annual review. This is a very, very helpful approach. Dr. Persky, I know that we're running out of time, uh, but I, I just have one more question. Let's talk about collaboration. If everybody is separated and you, you just miss those hallway conversations. You miss those, you know, running into the, what, what are they called? Water cooler conversations? That's right. That's How right. do you facilitate collaboration in a hybrid and remote work environment? What you need to do, again, is not do Zoom happy hours or anything that's office-centric. So not transpose those office-centric methods onto hybrid and remote work. You need to establish hybrid and remote first modalities. And there are modalities that I recommend to my clients, which they have found very helpful. One is called virtual co-working. That is meant to replace the 
experience of working in a shared open office environment with your coworkers. So what you do is you sign into a video conference call and you work on your individual tasks. And it's not about directly collaborating. So it's about working on your individual tasks, just like you would in that shared office environment. But you keep your microphone off, you keep your speakers on and video optional. You know, people who are more extroverted prefer their video on, introverted people prefer it off. And so what you do is whenever you have a question that you run into when you're doing your work, you can turn on your microphone and ask the question. And then you can get some team help, problem solving, brainstorming about new ideas, things like this. This is a very helpful methodology for especially integrating junior team members. A lot of companies have a lot of trouble with integrating junior staff into this hybrid and remote setting. And so this is very, very valuable methodology. So that's virtual co-working. Another methodology that I strongly recommend to, to my clients is mentoring. One of the biggest challenges with hybrid and remote work is the loss of connections across teams. So you actually see research showing that connections within teams have strengthened in remote and hybrid settings. But connections across teams have weakened. So it's kind of not surprising when you look at the psychology, right? You're running into each other less when you're working, not working in that same office space. That's not a surprise. The way to address that is to have mentoring and specifically mentoring, not simply from your own team. So you establish mentoring for junior staff from one person, senior person from their own team who can help them with on-the-job training, answering questions quickly. And that's very helpful. But you also want a mentor from outside the team, ideally a different business unit. And the goal of that person would be to help that junior staff member integrate into the broader organizational culture, develop their career, and build connections across that organization, introducing that person to relevant other people, building collaboration. That's the second methodology that I would do. And the third one I would recommend is actually a virtual water coolers. So in whatever collaboration software you use, whether you use Slack, Microsoft Teams, Trello, set up a channel for private conversation for each six to eight people team. As part of that, each morning, every person is asked as they're kind of checking into work is to share how are they feeling right now, what's going on in their personal life lately, an interesting fact about themselves or the world that others don't know, and then what they plan to focus on and work that day. And then they respond to three other people. That takes about five minutes. And it's very effective for that virtual water cooler experience where you connect with other people and get humanized to each other. So be human to each other. Dr. Dupersky, thank you so much. He is, of course, the author of the best-selling book, Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, a manual on benchmarking to best practices for competitive advantage, which you can find on Amazon. And he also maintains a website that I highly recommend. Where is that website? It's called DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. So DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. And if you want to check out my resources on the future of work, uh, including a questionnaire on addressing these blind spots we just talked about, so an assessment on this question, go to DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com forward slash subscribe. Dr. Dupersky, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me back again, Gabe. 
Well, you are very welcome. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. I'm also an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon, or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me just by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And do me a favor, recommend the show to a friend, family member, or colleague. Sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.